we've been talking about walk with me. It's just something that God has put in my heart. We desire in this church to build a culture where people can actually genuinely get to know the Lord because it is what Christ paid for. He prayed to remove a veil so that people can have access to Him and have relationship with Him. Can we say amen? Awesome. So we're together on that. And so I've been talking about the call of God. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. But it is always true that He calls and if we respond to the call, we follow He makes. He makes, He shapes. He says, I will make you. And whatever you become will have something to do with His call which is the Great Commission, and it could be various things. It's not all being evangelists. It's not all being these powerful. It could have a lot to do with business. Paul and his apostolic team had businessmen and women on his team that would travel with him that wouldn't even preach because we're called to disciple nations. Hello? We're not actually just called to go to church. We're called to disciple nations. So we've been talking about that, and we're all called to follow we call to feed and we call to friendship. These are not different calls. They come all at once, but it's something that we grow in. And the call to follow, we learn to be with Him. Jesus says when He called His disciples, is He called them to be with Him, and we learn to be with Him. It's the, the beginning, the prayer, the, in the Word, in worship when we come together. We learn to be with Him. We learn to be comfortable with His presence. We learn to understand His heart. And then He calls us to feed others. Every one of you is feeding, in a sense, spiritually feeding someone. And when you start to feed someone, you'll learn very quickly that, you know, what's in the cup, which is your life, your spiritual life, what's in the cup is for you. Every time you feed, it comes from overflow. And so when you're called to feed people, you learn to become strong in the spirit, not physically, in the spirit of God. You learn to grow. The Bible says Jesus grew. He waxed. You grow in the Spirit, in the things of the Spirit of God, so that when you pour out on others, you know how to fill up quick. You know how to remain full. You know everything comes from overflow. And so that you can feed others, but you don't destroy and deplete your life. It's actually a big deal, <laughs> because I see so many people in ministry bailing out and falling apart, you know, because if you give always when you have nothing, it, it doesn't bring God glory to burn out for Him. It just doesn't. But then we also call to friendship. The Bible talks about being friends with the Lord in John 15. It says, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. The implication is that the friend knows what's in the master's heart, and he obeys him because of the relationship, not because of fear of punishment. But we are called to friends, and, and friendship, you know, it is my genuine heart and desire to grow into a place of friendship with God, because friendship has, that's when obedience has beauty attached to it. And most people think obedience, they think correction. It's not that. Obedience becomes extremely exciting because it means you can hear, and that's how faith comes. In Acts 13, it says, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. To be a friend of the Lord is not, you know, to be perfect, friends. David was by no means perfect. Yet, Bible says, friend of God, he will do whatever I ask him. He did a whole bunch of other stuff too. 
But he said, he will do whatever I ask him to do. And that's what Jesus said. You're my friends if you do what I tell you. It's not because I'm going to punish you. There's a difference thing in obedience from what I call the thrill of principle. We understand something, a principle here. And we're like, oh, that's exciting. So it's like I give to get. The thrill of principle, of spiritual principle, still has self at the center. Obedience from love has nothing to do with outcome. I obey because I just, I love him. I trust him. I don't have to understand. I don't think about the outcome. I just, yes, okay, yes, Lord. It's a whole different way of thinking. So, I'm going to talk to you today about that, the obedience to the faith. (laughs) I said to my wife, I'm going to definitely need the Lord. It's like when you talk to kids, try to convince children that obedience is a good thing. You know, it's interesting. And uh, for the people of God, as the children of God, it's an amazing truth that God wants to bring back. And to walk with the Lord, to actually walk by the Spirit, to walk with the Lord, is a major, major key. So we're going to go to Romans 1, and we're going to read a few verses in Romans 16. I'm actually going to go down to verse, verse 3. It says, through him we have received grace and apostleship. This is Romans 1, 3, sorry, 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Not just obedience to faith, to the faith, meaning all of the Christian walk. To the faith. So we've received grace, that's the grace of God and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among those who are called by Jesus Christ. Go to the last chapter of the book, Romans 16, and it says a similar thing. Now to him who is able to establish you, to ground you, to root you, to plant you, to have abundant life come out of you. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, that's Christ in you, the hope of glory, that he can dwell in a person, kept secret since the world began, but has now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures, that means the whole Bible is pointing to Jesus, that's what it means, and it was a secret in the Old Testament, was not yet revealed that God can indwell a man. And he says, but it has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God. Why? All of this, why? For obedience to the faith. To God alone, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. So the purpose of genuine, I believe, of genuine apostolic ministry, apostolic ministry is when you're breaking ground. The purpose of genuine apostolic ministry is to bring people into willing obedience to God through love, not through fear, not through religion, not through laws, not through putting on, not through guilt, not through shame, not through that, because it has no effect. It actually destroys people. But it is to bring people into the willing obedience to God through love by trusting and leaning on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal. Why? I always talk about how God is loving, how people don't understand what he's like, the love of God, the blessing of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. Why? Because in the West, we have to strip down what people think of God just so they can see who he is, and then relationship can begin. But the ultimate goal is when there's genuine relationship, they will learn to trust, and he's still a king, and we still say yes. But we say yes from a different place. Hello? Hello? Are you with me? So, last few weeks. Now we're going to go. You think that was fast? Watch this. 
We've been speaking in the last few weeks about the difference between the kingdom and the church, just in terms of when we call to follow God, we have to understand the enormous difference between the kingdom of God and the church. Jesus, he came down, he constantly spoke about the kingdom. It means king's dominion, the dominion of a king. There it is on the wall. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said that. So he comes and he's always teaching his disciples. My kingdom is like this. My kingdom is like that. My kingdom is like this. And I said it, if you read the New Testament as a scholar, unsaved, no concept of God, just as just the New Testament gospels, Jesus' words, as a book, you will say, this man is always talking about another place. Always, my kingdom, my kingdom. The last 40 days on the earth, he says he talked about things pertaining to the kingdom because it's bigger than the church. The church will be shaken. The kingdom will never be shaken. The church will end. The kingdom will never end. The church is is the agency through which the kingdom of God will come. And the kingdom can come. It can come upon a region. Means the authority of the kingdom shifts and changes the way people think in an entire region. It's happened all through church history. The kingdom can come on a person, in a person. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, that's the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom has come upon you. So the kingdom can come. But there's something theologically what we call the kingdom now and the kingdom then. And this is what we touched on last week. The kingdom now is the presence of God. It's unseen, but it's felt. The presence of God, the power of God alongside earthly kingdoms. It's the unseen realm. That's why, friends, in this age, what is the age that the era is called the last days. In this age, we need faith for everything. Why? Because faith is a conviction, a surety of what is there, even though I don't see it. And I learn to live by it and speak by it. Everything changes based on what I don't see, but I know it here. So we need faith. But there's a kingdom then that's coming. That's when Jesus comes back. It's the full realization of God's kingdom when the Lord returns. It'll go from unseen to seen. And everyone will know. There will be no mistaking what has just happened. No mistaking it. The kingdom now in this day, has a battle for expansion on two fronts. There's a battle. Who knows we're in a war? Who knows we're in a war? Let's try it again. Yeah, great. We are. You may not believe it. You are. It has a battle on two fronts. The nations of the world and your heart. The Spirit of God, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit for a little bit and then we'll move on. The Spirit of God will come into your heart to expand the kingdom within you so that he can pour the kingdom through you. Very important to understand. We have to understand that the Holy Spirit, people don't understand the Holy Spirit. Many believers, it's like a confusion. The Holy Spirit is to us everything that Jesus was to the disciples when he walked physically on the earth. He was their teacher, their friend, their, uh, he resourced them. It says he gave them power and authority. He revealed the Father to them. He was everything. And then he said, I have to leave, but when I leave, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send an advocate. I'm going to send a comforter. Four different places he said it. The scriptures come up behind me. And he said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send him, and he will be to you what I am. 
So who makes us as we follow Christ? The Holy Spirit. He comes to make us and shape us and form us. He really does. He, Jesus even said, when He, the Spirit of truth comes, He will be your guide. He will be your teacher, your friend. He will remind you of things I've said to you. He will reveal the Father. He will give you power and authority. He will be to you what I've been to you. And then He will be that to everyone else who understands how to receive Him. We also have to understand that the ministry of Jesus to the crowds was not the ministry he had to the disciples. Have you ever seen that? You know, he was to the crowds, signs and wonders, miracles, healing. To the disciples, some of that, but more about the heart. Sometimes pretty hard with him. Why? Because the crowd never received the invitation to become like the crowd never received the invitation to follow and to become. The Holy Spirit has a ministry inside you. And it's different to the ministry that will come through you to others. He will make you, shape you, form you, challenge you, expand you, reveal things to you. And as we learn to partner with that, the ministry on the outside changes. So, we need to receive the Holy Spirit. And I said this last week, but it's a good way to say it. If I had to say to people, have you received the Holy Spirit? Some people say yes in salvation, it's true. Some people say yes because I speak in tongues and it's like an evidence to me, it's true. But it's not full. To receive the Holy Spirit is like if I had a guest coming to my house, he can stay in the guest room and, and that's great. But if that guest was a king, I have two choices. I can receive him as a king or as a guest. If I receive the guest as a king, he owns the house because he's a king. The Holy Spirit, we are the temple of the Spirit of the living God. So I can receive him by adding him to my life, my schedule. I can receive him like a guest or I can receive him for who he is, which means he owns it all. And when I receive him that way, his ministry can come in fruition in you, and it will change you. He changes you from the inside out, not the outside in, through rules and legalism. He changes you from the inside out. He changes your heart. <laughs> changes you, friends. He loves you more than you'll know and he changes you, and he empowers you, and he, and he speaks Jesus to you. It's a crazy thing. It makes no logical sense. You tell a person about a person who died, and then now we, you know, we, we, we covered in blood. You know, that's the language. It sounds like a cult to an unspiritual mind. But when they get saved, something inside, I love Jesus, I want Jesus, I, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, it says he will come into you and expand the love of God and teach Christ to you. And you just want Jesus. It's unexplainable. But that's, it's actually not, I've just done it. <laughs> so, we have to understand. Now, one of the things he does, and this is what I want to focus by God's grace as fast as I can, is he comes to wage war against the flesh. The flesh is the nature you were born with on the earth when you were born physically. You were born with a sin nature that is given to that. 
actually comes from the devil. That's what the Bible says. And the center of that is I, me. That is the center. Look at a child. Me. You know, I literally hear it in my house with my boys. Mine. No, it's mine. No, it's... It's the normal nature of people. It's the human nature. And the Spirit of God, to receive him, he will come and wage war against your flesh. But not as a spy from heaven to catch you and run and tell the Father and so that he can be... No, friends. He, he is the searcher of people's hearts. And he searches for good things to bring them out, to show you who you are, who you genuinely are. Because when you get saved, the Bible says you are made new. New creature. Actually, the Greek, there's a new species upon the earth, not before seen. Why do you think identity is so under attack in the world? Because the church has been asleep. With all due respect, and I'm, I'm one of them. I am in the church. He comes to reveal who you are, genuinely are. So, Galatians 5 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The, lust, the word lust, it's not only sexual. The word lust actually means desires that carry a deceitful fruit that you cannot see. That's what it means. I really want that. And I'm like, no, you don't. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. The Spirit of God will come into your life and He will do many things. He will show you, but one of the things, He will wage war against your flesh. But we have to understand, He's not waging war against you. He's waging war against the person you were never meant to be. And when we understand it, we choose to partner with Him instead of always feeling like we're in trouble. Big difference. Big difference. I said it like this. Why? Because he's on your side. The Holy Spirit comes to expand the kingdom of God on the battlefront of the human heart. He will expand God's kingdom inside you. Like that. And sometimes it feels like pressure. You blow up a balloon. That's happening inside you with the kingdom. He's blowing, he's breathing the kingdom into you. It changes the way you parent, the way you are with your wife, your husband, the way you are with your career. If everything changes as the kingdom begins to take over. The Holy Spirit comes to expand the kingdom of God on the battlefront of the human heart through the expression of authority in order to teach you the authority that you have been given or delegated. But all authority starts with what? Submission. Good, because it's up behind you. So you guys are either very sharp or you can read. And he will do that by bringing your flesh under subjection to the spirit inside of you. But it's for your good. It's, for, it's not like a parent says, I'm doing this for your good. It's not like that. The other path is death and destruction. And so he comes to reveal things inside of you and change things inside of you. John G. Lake said this, in the beginning, meaning before sin came into the world, man's spirit was the dominant force in the world. When he sinned, his mind became dominant. Sin dethroned the spirit and crowned the intellect. But grace is restoring the spirit to its place of dominion. Grace means you receive favor based on the work of Jesus Christ. When a man comes to realize this, he will live in the realm of the supernatural without effort. And friends, that is true. I know what, it's true. 
because he's for me. He's not against me. He's not fighting me. He's fighting what's coming to kill me. So obedience brings breakthrough. The obedience to the faith. How does obedience bring breakthrough? All that stuff sounds good, but it, you know, when we leave here and in our normal, what, how, does, how does it do that? How does the Holy Spirit bring obedience to a heart that doesn't like it? Well, first thing we have to say, we sang it this morning, and I, we don't plan these things, by the way. We, I end up preaching and we sing it, and people think we plan it. We literally never do. It just always happens. That's how you, it's just true. I preach stuff we sang about. We sang, let God arise. It's in my notes, but we didn't plan it. Bible says, Psalm 68, let God arise, let his enemy be scattered. And so what the church does is we point, you know, never us, we're all wonderful, but often it's look at the world and look at that person and I can't believe this is happening. What's happening? They're calling out things in the world. What they're actually calling out is themselves. <laughs> let God arise and let his enemy be scattered. If God is not a right, we can't make him higher than he is. It's not to say, God, be more. It's let him arise in my heart. And when that happens, the nature of that is the enemy scatters. If the enemy is not scattering, it's because God hasn't arisen. And the world isn't going to make God arise. So there's something missing that God, I believe, is wanting to restore because when the enemy convinces people that God is against you, he's won a great battle. The Holy Spirit comes to teach you God is for you and let him arise and the enemy will scatter. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. The resisting is in the submission. Authority and power, if I could briefly give you these and we'll do three points by the grace of God and then we'll be done. We've all been given access to power and authority because of the cross. All of us. All of us. It may look different for you and me, but it's, we all have been given access to explosive Holy Spirit power and authority. People focus on power, but the release of power comes through the recognition of authority. And all authority starts with submission. And I saw someone say this, it helped other people understand it. A policeman carries a gun, that's power, okay? But he also carries a badge, that's authority. The badge does more than the gun. Why? He can hand in his gun without handing in his badge. But he cannot hand in his badge without giving his gun in two. When we submit to authority, it teaches us the authority that we carry. And when we start to learn the authority that we carry, not because of me, by grace, because of what he did, when we start to learn the authority that we carry, there's a recognition of authority through submission, power becomes available. Does that make sense? Friends, Please, I, I literally, I can feel it in my heart and the spirit, in people's minds. Yeah, but that's for you. You're a, no, that's for Christians. How blessed it is that we can be called children of God. Heir, as the Bible says. Power, authority. But it comes through submission. We can recognize authority through us 
when we submit to the authority of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us. So, how does that happen practically? If I quote scriptures or if I reference a scripture, don't just believe me. I actually, people say, please just trust me. No, don't. Go read it. Go test it. Go search it out. It's a trick for me to make you just read the Bible. So, 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Paul makes a statement that he wants to make sure that people are not ignorant of the devil's devices. So, the first way, that, the first thing that we can recognize authority by submitting to it is through our thoughts. Submitted thoughts. I don't think we understand how the demonic, and I'm, I'm just speaking plain, and for the visitors, if some of this language is new to you, please forgive me, find someone, and they can take you to the scripture, hopefully, and, and bless you with it. But the demonic realm is real, and it's there. And I don't focus much on it because he, I'm not impressed by it. Because the devil has no authority, none, but he does carry power. But the Apostle Paul says that we should not have the devil take advantage of us by being ignorant of his devices. That word devices is actually the word mind. It's saying ignorant of the way he thinks that he has devices, he has schemes, he has strategies. He even has a belief system. The Bible talks about the doctrine of demons. That's a doctrine, that's a belief system. And it's based on fear and lies and deceit for the purpose of destruction. So what happens, it's not good to overemphasize the devil, but it is good to make sure that God's people are not ignorant of his way of thinking. Now, the devil is an inferior power Please hear me. He's an inf he, he has no authority. No authority. He only can get authority from people who God has given it to, which is you. That's what he had to do to Adam. He had to get Adam to agree in order to have authority. If he had any of authority of his own, he wouldn't have had to talk to Adam. And I know I'm, I can feel I'm stretching your minds, but it's good. It's called the renewing of the mind. Sometimes I want to overload so that it's like, okay, it's sometimes the way to get it in. But it's very important. The devil is an inferior power. He has no authority, but he has power. But the implication of the verse is that if we're ignorant to it, inferior power will overcome superior power, which is the believer. If we're ignorant to his devices, his schemes, his way of thinking, we can be overcome by a inferior power but you have the Spirit of God in you, which is superior, far more, far more. But if we're ignorant, it's, it's a problem. Now, Paul uses the same word in 1 Corinthians 12, when it says, I do not want you, be to, I, I do not want you to be ignorant. Uh, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. The word gifts is not there in the Greek. It says, now concerning the spiritual, I do not want you to be ignorant. My kingdom is not of this world. It is the spiritual realm. Concerning that realm, I do not want you to be ignorant. So we are called to not be ignorant about how that realm works because we operate by faith and how not to be ignorant about how the devil thinks. Very important. Very important. Why? Well, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us, Though we walk in the flesh, now that's not the flesh nature, okay? That just means physically, I'm walking, okay? means in the human body. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We are not called to fight flesh and blood, yeah? Yeah? 
We should all say yes to that because otherwise we got some trouble. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Overlooking Corinth, where Paul said this, there was a, um, a hill just under 2,000 feet, I think, and, uh, which had a fortress on top. So Paul's seeing that fortress and he's using the imagery to explain spiritual warfare. And he's saying, the devil, the enemy, will create thought patterns in a culture, in your heart, in your mind. He will create thought patterns that become a stronghold. And we are called, as people, to use mighty weapons of warfare that are not physical, they're not carnal, to pull those things down, both in our heart and in our region. It's every high thing, everything that exalts itself, that becomes high against the knowledge of God. Yes, that's our understanding of God and who He is, but it's also God's knowledge, what God knows to be true about you and about Him. And something will come to compete with it. And it feels more familiar to us because we can see it. Sometimes that's how we feel. So it comes to compete and it builds a stronghold in the heart. So if you can imagine, well, let me first say this. Often, this might shake us out of some thinking. The devil does not actually mind what side of an issue you are on. Morality issues, political issues, personal issues. You know? He actually doesn't mind what side you take, even with controversial subjects, like abortion. As long as you use carnal weapons to try and force it, he doesn't care. You may help some, but the invisible stronghold in your heart and in a region will stay intact and it will not last. God's people need to learn how to use spiritual weapons to pull strongholds down. If you can imagine the enemy living in a castle, because the, the word stronghold, what is the concept of a, 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 it means castle or fortress or stronghold, that's the word. The concept is actually where you rest even when the battle is not over, yeah? Think of an old movie. You run into the castle, the stronghold, the tower, and the battle's not over, but you can rest in there, you can feed, you can sleep. The battle's carrying on. Imagine the enemy living in a castle in reinforced security that we create for him by how we think in our heart. This is not sad news. I'm trying to awaken us to the power of obedience. Bringing every thought into submission, not every little thing we think, Sometimes that is required for a season, but it won't be forever. Because he feeds off the thought realm. See, pastors sometimes don't want to preach this. It is the truth. He feeds off the thought realm. And when we just, anything can go back and forth and we don't, it's like, well, as long as I don't do something, no, friends, no, 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 no. No, it's here. Because the mind became exalted over the spirit. 
And so he has given us mighty weapons, but they're not carnal, for tearing things down. You see, and sometimes he lives behind reinforced steel in our hearts, in our city, that we've put there with the way we think. Or you could say the truth, which is this. Psalm 18, I will love, the Lord, love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I trust, I will trust. My shield, my horn of salvation, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm 71, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me, save me. Be my strong refuge, that's a fortress, a tower, to which I may resort continually. For you have given the commandment to save me. Obedience will lead to breakthrough if we understand the heart of God. For you are my rock and my, and my fortress. See, the reason for taking thoughts captives, friends, is to break the agreement with the enemy to cancel the contract. It is how the enemy takes authority from the people that God has given it to. This is good news, I promise. My, my desire today, and I know I'm speaking straight, and I'm going to go about 10 minutes over. My desire today is to unmask the devil. I never really focus on him, and I mean that. If you know me, you know that. The power of ignore, that's a good power to employ with him. He will try to make you fight him forever. Just focus on Christ. But my desire today is to unmask him so you can see what he is. So that you can overcome. It will begin with the knowledge of God. The reason for taking thoughts captive is to break the contract, to break the agreement that the enemy needs in order to have authority because he has none of his own. And it begins with knowledge, the knowledge of God. How else? And it follows on. The next one is through submitted speech or faith-filled speaking. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit will come with lordship. You know how I say we receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Who knows the scripture? I was going to go into the context, and, but I was obviously dreaming in terms of time. It's probably one of my favorite chapters, but I also probably say that a lot. I like a lot of chapters in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 3, where the Spirit of the Lord is, actually it says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Who knows that verse? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it's always quoted like, you know, yeah, freedom, which is good. But you know, in the New Testament, you think of this real quick. The Bible calls the, the ways, the different, you know, not names, but the different ways the Holy Spirit comes or the way He operates. It calls it the Spirit of Adoption the spirit of sonship, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Yeah, you know all the scriptures? Yeah, it's the spirit of the Lord. But because it's the spirit of the Lord, we think it means the spirit of God, therefore it's just another name for the Holy Spirit. It's when he comes, not with adoption or sonship, or the, he comes to bring lordship. That's actually what it means. Now in the Old Testament, it talks about the spirit of the Lord. It's referencing the Holy Spirit, even though it's kind of the same thing. But he comes to bring lordship. 
So when the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is given lordship in His ministry in your heart, it will lead to liberty, to much freedom and rejoicing. And we take a veil off our face, which is our hard heart. We take the veil off and we look and we behold Christ and we become like. We are transformed into the image of glory to glory to glory. Now, the Holy Spirit, and people even say, well, Jesus is our Savior. Yes, but it's how even salvation works. Let's say it together. If I believe in my heart and confess with my, what? That Jesus is Savior. Know that Jesus is Lord. Through Lordship, I am set free from death, destruction, hell forever. Through the reception of Lordship. Now, the Holy Spirit, as I said, is a searcher of men's hearts, Romans 8 says, but he looks for a heart, please hear this, that is longing to think like he thinks, that is longing to speak by delegated authority. Why? Why? Starts in the thoughts, it'll come through the mouth. Submitted thinking, submitted thoughts. Why? Because it's how he himself operates. Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But he, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will not speak in his own authority. He proceeds forth from the Father, the Bible says. And what he hears, he speaks. And he says, oh, I'm searching the hearts not to entrap people, not to point out how horrible they are. That's the accuser. I'm searching people's hearts to find a person who in their heart desires to think like him, who desires to speak by delegated authority like I, the Holy Spirit, have to speak. And so we can partner together and through submission, power is released. Power, genuine power. That's what he looks for. He's looking for a vessel that understands the release of power through submission to authority. And so he will bring, this is what I'm about to say in the next two minutes. Get this, please. So, so important. He will bring us to truth. Catherine Kuhlman said, he's not looking for gold vessels or silver vessels, but yielded vessels. Yielded vessels. Because you're a vessel, you're a temple. We are receiving him in fullness because he has ownership. It starts with salvation, it ends with ownership. But he will bring us to truth. But what does truth do? Truth? Don't be shy. Yeah, truth sets free. Great. When? Very important question. When? When I understand it conceptually? No. Never like that. When does truth set free? Truth sets free when I know it experientially. John 8, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know. That word is intimacy. No, it's Adam knew Eve. He slept with Eve. It's very intimate. You shall know the truth, and the truth, then the truth, will make you free. So how do I come to know anything experientially? I have to use it. So if I've read a book about a car and I know everything in that book about a car, 
but I've never driven the car. I don't really know. Hello? Yeah. How does truth set free? When you use it like this. I was speaking about this to Katie yesterday, and I said, I'm going to quote her. She said, no. I said, yes. <laughs> and, and she said, uh, you know, Clayton, people, will, they're so keen to learn, but they actually won't do. They'll even go to courses and they'll study, but they won't actually always do it. You see, she doesn't know, well, she may, sorry, that she's actually quoting Scripture. 2 Timothy 3 says, in the last days, that's this era, there will be people that are always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. <laughs> Why? An intimate knowledge. Truth sets free when we use it, when we know it experientially. So, imagine you were on a battlefield, right? Picture it just in your head. You're on a battlefield and suddenly you are somewhere else and it is wonderful. And you're just like, wow, look at that. I'm, that's great. Normal battle, there's food. I'm resting, there's a swimming pool, clothes. It's wonderful for you, but if you don't know how you got there, freedom stops with you. you say, well, what about everyone else? Well, I don't know how I got you. That's how many people pray. Lord, just come and just sort everything out. But how do we then help? You see, So we have to use it. When I'm feeling less than, not good enough, I'll never be able to, or guilt, whatever, you have to speak. You have to. You know, whatever it is, don't speak to the devil too long. Start worshiping the Lord. But speak truth because the thoughts have been submitted. He brings truth to us. And now we speak truth based on what we know to be true from a kingdom that we cannot see and that is a spiritual weapon and the God arises and the enemy runs six ways from Sunday. That is how it, how it is. So you can say, don't tell me I'm an unclean person because I made a mistake. You've got to speak like this. His mercies are new every morning. I am a son of the living God. I'm not thee, but I am a son. You all are. Regardless of how I feel, God Almighty, He is my Father. The power of the Spirit of God is in me. I submit to Him. I will not partner with you any longer. Even though I cannot see you, I know you are there speaking into my thoughts. You're only doing that because I'm making you afraid. I'm becoming. God is making me. The Holy Spirit, the Lord of hosts, the armies of heaven. He has authority. He has power. He lives in me. So devil, take it up with Him. Good luck. Friends, you've got to speak. Submitted speech. It's not knowing it here. Speak it. Then you know the truth because you've used it. You've used it. Then you become free. What are you doing? You're building fortresses to run into. Your own fortress. I don't hear my heart. I have many friends. <laughs> Over the years when he comes, this becomes a way of life. My dad, I learned it from him. And you say, no, this is the truth. And what you don't realize is you're building a fortress. 
And every time he comes, you run in there, battle carries on, you're resting. I rest in God. I'm resting. And you invite other people, come in my fortress. My nice fortress. Yeah. It's nice in here. You know, when the tree grows up, it says that the birds of the, the air will come and nest and have shade. And we'll leave it there. The last one was submitted choices. I won't go into that. But friends, when you start letting your mind, we have to understand that the enemy has a focused place of invasion. He absolutely does. If I was, an, if I was fighting, a, a, it happened in the Bahamian Islands. Not now with what they're going through now, which is awful, but when the French and the English and the British, they're all fighting, and the English and the Spaniards, they're all fighting over it. There was a focused place of invasion. And they ended up dividing the Bahamian and Caribbean, and I've done all the history, and I just enjoy that. But when they divided it up, and what's interesting is the people who never spoke their languages, they, many years later, they speak different languages. Because the invading power will be determined later, you can tell, by how a person speaks. You can tell. Who has taken dominion of this territory in your heart, in your... Well, you can tell by what's in their mouth. You know, you go to Haiti, they don't speak the native language they used to, because French, one. Caribbean, you know, West Indies, the British, one. You can tell, because they speak the language. Now, there was a focused place of invasion. It was, because it was the Navy days, they called it the, the harbor. They named the harbor the gate of the city. I said, if you take the harbor, you have the island. You have a gate. Your eyes and your ears. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's true. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. It's a gate into you, into the heart. It's a gate. So what has the enemy done? He's made everything so available for our eyes, for our ears. It's our gates are overwhelmed continually. Continually. See, if I knew where he was going to invade, I could position myself to see him coming from afar off. Well, I'm telling you now, that is where he will invade through the gates of your eyes and your ears. You see, and I'm not saying never watch TV. You go pray and you make decisions about that for yourself. How does he invade a region, a city? Who is the gate to the city in the spirit realm? The church. Bible says that. Surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not, Genesis 28. For this place is the house of God, the gate of heaven. The house of God is the gate of heaven. It's how the kingdom will come. The church is a gate into the city. When the church is sleeping, the city is destroyed because it just comes through the gate. Let God arise and the enemy will be scattered, shattered, decimated on the rocks. He has no authority. Don't give him any. Can we stand?